podcast Little Mind Chats. Minds are little, not our thoughts. I'm your host Siona. We've heard about quite a few issues we are facing as environmental challenges in this generation. It is clear that if not now, we probably can never reverse the damage. There's one other important topic we still haven't covered, and that's the stuff that covers 70% of our earth. It's our oceans. Can you imagine? We have damaged and polluted our oceans too, to a very great extent. But do we really understand the impact of our actions? Who do you think will have the best information about the health of our oceans? Well, I've been lucky enough to find an expert oceanographer, Hannah Whitby. She is an oceanographer and a lecturer at the University of Liverpool, UK, where she teaches marine pollution and environmental chemistry. More specifically, she is a marine biogeochemist, or in other words, she studies oceans and potions. Her work involves studying the chemicals in seawater that are important nutrients or toxicants to the microscopic plants and animals. Her work shows how important it is to know about all the different types of marine pollution, including plastics, metals, eutrophication, deoxygenation, heat waves, oil spills, harmful algal blooms, sewage, PPCPs, climate change, and so on. To understand how they affect one another and the marine environment as a whole. Did that confuse you? I certainly was awestruck at all the cool things and important things she does. Hi, Hannah. It's absolutely great to have you on my show. Thank you for coming. Hi, Sarah. It's very nice to meet you as well. It's nice to meet you and have you on my show. Children like me just love visiting the oceans, mainly because we get to play on the beach and paddle around in the ocean. Well, you're an oceanographer. You must be loving it, right? I, I absolutely love it. You know, we have to um, understand about the chemistry, the physics and the biology. You, know, you can't just focus on one area because they all interact so much with each other. So That must be a very complex thing to do. Well... To a degree, but it's also, you know, it's also very rewarding and a lot of fun. So, Do you actually get to dive into the oceanic water? Um, I don't, personally. I work, I'm a chemist, so most of my samples come onto the ship. And then when they're on the ship, we analyse them in the lab. So most of my work is sort of based in a lab, but we do have people on board that have a submarine on board that can go down and take samples from the seafloor. Does that mean you go into the oceans quite regularly? Oh uh, Yeah, we go out, out at sea, so we go for maybe four to eight weeks at a time, maybe once or twice a year. That's so cool. Depends on the group or on what exactly, you know, you're working on. Uh, sometimes you might just need to go for the day if you're working in a coastal area, but if you want to measure the, the middle of the ocean, then it can take a... Um, take quite a while to get there and then you want to make sure that the journey was worth it so yeah 
Well, I better tell this to one of my classmates because even she wants to become a marine biologist. Well, there you go. You can tell her. There's a lot of different jobs out there in oceanography, and a lot of people know that marine biology is a job because you know you see that a lot on TV. You think of all of the big animals, but um, I'm a marine chemist. We also have marine physicists. You have biological oceanographers, which are similar to marine biologists, but they work on the tiny, like the phytoplankton, the tiny animals and plants that live in the ocean. So there's actually loads more than just marine biologists out there. Wow, not sure how many of us are aware of all this. Your bio seemed pretty tongue-twisting, but I found some interesting words there. Can I ask you about that? Go ahead. What is eutrophication? That's a good question. So that's when, if you've got lots of nutrients that enter the water, so maybe if you think about off uh, fertilizers off farmland, for example, washing into rivers, and then you get lots of nutrients, and that triggers lots of algae to grow. Like you know, because we add fertilizer to make plants on land grow, and it works the same in water, so in rivers or in coastal areas. But then, when that happens, they they grow so quickly and so much grow that they block out the light for the things living deeper. And they also um, then, as they die and sink, and they get broken down, the, all of the oxygen gets used up, and then suddenly things start to die because there's not enough oxygen. So if you add too much nutrient to the water too quickly, it's actually quite dangerous, and it can cause eutrophication. Uh oh. And then what exactly is harmful algal blooms? That's another really good question. So there are some species of algae that uh, when they bloom, they release toxins, so chemicals that are dangerous to either other algae, to fish or mammals, or even to humans. Oh. And when, it, yeah, so if you were to go swimming when there's a toxic algal bloom or harmful algal bloom, um, you could get really sick. And quite often it's dog walkers that find out when it happens because it's the dogs that are the first ones to drink a bit of the water and the dogs might get sick. And that's how we usually find out that they happen. Oh dear. What is PPCP? I'll just, I'll just give you the definition. It's pharmaceuticals and personal care products. So yes. and shampoo and things like that. You mean like... All the soaps, shampoos and detergents and things like that? Yeah. Can you share with us some interesting facts about our oceans? Of course. So you very rightly noted that the oceans cover more than 70% of the planet. Now that's a huge amount of water. That's twice as much as the amount of the earth that's covered by land. And we haven't visited most parts of it. We can't possibly have been to every region. If you think about a ship going and maybe taking some samples like what I do, that is quite literally a speck in the ocean that we've, we've measured. And remember, it's 3D as well. So what we might measure in the surface might be really different a few hundred meters down. And the deepest parts could easily sink Mount Everest with room for another smaller mountain on top of that that still wouldn't reach the surface. Oh, my God. That yeah, exactly. is so much of water. And we managed to pollute it all? Well, not exactly. Um, 
you know, we have found that there are things like plastics in the bottom of some of these trenches. But at the same time, there's a lot of regions that are still quite pristine and, and, you know, what we would probably say is unpolluted. But imagine you're in a ship above one of these trenches looking down at the ocean and realizing that if you were to get in a submarine and dive straight down, it would be seven miles nearly before you would reach the bottom. To me, that is mind blowing. Yeah, same. It's blown my mind so know, out of the window. <laughs> we know quite a lot about coastal areas. So they're usually a lot shallower. They're near homes. You can get there. But most people or people have never visited most parts of the ocean. There's still so much to find out. Now, do you know, remember when the Air Malaysia flight went missing? And so it was an airplane that went missing over the ocean. And they got oceanographers oh. to come and try to model the different currents to try to work out where we might find the wreckage. But we actually never found it or we found very little because it's just so hard to predict what will happen. And that's because we, even though we've been studying the ocean for so long, even things like the currents, we still don't fully understand. And believe it or not, the best data that we have on ocean currents comes from an accident. Oh, from accidents? What does that mean? So, in 1992, there was a tanker travelling across the Pacific and there was a storm. And three containers fell off this tanker and guess what they were full of? No, I don't know. Rubber ducks. <laughs> rubber ducks like you have in your bath. Oh, rubber ducks? You might expect, you know, you drop loads of rubber ducks in the ocean and you might expect that they would all kind of do the same thing and turn up on the nearest beach around the same time but they didn't really they started appearing all over the world from alaska to australia and indonesia some of them went up and got stuck in the arctic sea ice and were slowly transported across the north pole oh wow how strange and some of them are still turning up on beaches to this day, nearly 20 years later. So that just shows you how complex ocean currents can be and why it's so difficult to predict where something will end up once it reaches the ocean. Oh, dear. So does that mean if you go to a beach, you find a lot of rubber ducks and you're like, oh, I don't even have to pay for them and I'm going to have a lot of fun at bath time? <laughs> Well, I, I don't think the ones you're going to find these days are going to be uh, suitable for bath time. They're going to be very degraded. They've been out in that environment for about 20 years. You know, they've lost all their, their color and things like that. But there are certainly some still around. You might be lucky enough to find one one day. Yeah, maybe if they're extremely lucky. Well, the rubber duck incident is uh, like polluting the oceans. But why is the health of our oceans important for us? Well, from the times of the earliest humans, the coastal areas have been the most commonly and densely populated areas. So right now, about half of all humans alive on planet Earth live within about 100 kilometers of the ocean. So we, we need to understand the issues that affect the coastal areas in particular, like sea level change, because lots of these communities are at risk of flooding and what might affect tourism, which is a major global industry, bringing in lots of money. They're also important for weather and climate. They're important for shipping. So, you know, transporting people and stuff around the world. And of course, they're really important to supply food for people. So fisheries account for about 20% of the global protein source. 
oh, okay. Yeah, but aside from the obvious stuff like that, the oceans are important for even more than that. So we think of trees and big rainforests as providing us with that oxygen that we breathe, but at least half of it comes from the oceans. So tiny photosynthetic Ooh. plants, yeah, that live in the surface, they trap carbon dioxide and they release oxygen as they grow. So the ocean, as well as storing carbon dioxide chemically, which it does as well, these plants are helping to counteract the effects of climate change because they take in carbon dioxide that is released into the atmosphere by humans. And they form the bottom of the food chain, supporting huge populations of fish, birds, mammals, and in some areas, people. So we really need these tiny plants to keep doing their job. And so we need to understand all of the things that might impact them. And that's, that's what I do. Yeah. Well, once I saw this image where um, they kind of sh showed the food chain, where there's a plastic bag just floating around and a fish gobbles it up and the fish is gobbled by a human. And where do you think the plastic goes? Back to the human. Exactly, yeah. So we need to look after everything in the ocean because ultimately it comes back to us. Yeah. But is it actually true that our oceans and seas affect our climate? Absolutely. So weather and climate are really strongly coupled with the ocean. So the ocean controls both the long-term climate of the region and also sometimes some of the extreme events that happen. So have you ever noticed when on the news there's a warning of like a hurricane or maybe near you call it a typhoon or tropical cyclone? Have you noticed where they always start? They almost always start out at sea because they get their energy and the rain that they carry from the ocean surface. So oh. storms that, that do on land are much weaker and they don't reach that same hurricane or cyclone status. The biggest and the most dangerous storms all start at sea. That's probably why they normally depict that when a storm builds up, it affects those near sea. But the main point is that it all starts at sea. Yeah, but can you imagine that it isn't only storms that they can cause? So you might be surprised to find out, you know, the Australian bushfires that happened yeah. a couple of years ago? Yeah. And also the African locust plagues that happened about the same time. Now, would you believe that both of them were ultimately caused by the same thing? And that was the sea surface temperature change in the Indian Ocean. Oh, my God. Seriously? So actually, we think about it this way. Australia's in the Pacific Ocean. It's not even in the Indian Ocean. But most of its weather is controlled by what happens in the Indian Ocean. And something called the Indian Ocean Dipole, which is when there's a shift in the sea surface temperature at different sides of the Indian Ocean, that caused the weather in Australia to be a lot drier than usual, which caused oh. the um, bushfires. But on the other side, in the east, in Africa and in India, there was far more rain than usual and the flooding caused mm -hmm. landslides and contributed to a boom in locust numbers. Why, how and why did it affect locust population? Well, that you're going to have to ask the biologist, but it was to do with the extra rain that, that landed there. But that rain was there because of the Indian Ocean Dipole. So you can see that, like, Sudden changes in the delicate balance between the ocean and the atmosphere have a massive impact on the weather 
and on humanity. But for the most part, the oceans are responsible for keeping the climate of each region relatively constant. And we should be really thankful for that. So, I mean, for me over in the UK, for example, in the Atlantic Ocean, we have the Gulf Stream. And that travels from the really warm waters off Florida across the Atlantic to Europe. And it brings with it lots of warm water and warm air. And that makes it much warmer here in Europe than it should be. Now, UK and Canada are about the same latitude. In the UK, the weather's much milder and we never see the same extreme temperatures like the minus 40 degrees C that they see in Canada. And you can really notice the difference. So I've, I've been on a ship sampling and we've crossed the Gulf Stream and I've seen the water temperature drop with every single measurement. And on deck, oh. within a day, we went from wearing shorts and T-shirts to wearing sweatshirts and trousers just in a matter of hours. It's quite amazing. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> I have a good load of questions left, but less time, which is why we will continue this conversation with Hannah on Wednesday, 5th of May. There were lots of surprising facts that Hannah helped us understand. The best ones were the rubber ducks lost in the ocean and ended up on shores all over the world. I looked for Moby Ducks on YouTube and found a good lot of videos that explained this in great detail. Hannah also helped us understand why climate change and weather patterns in oceans are responsible for a good percentage of calamities on land. Like she mentioned, the dip in Indian Ocean caused fires in Australia and increase in locust populations that devoured parts of Africa. Is this fiction? No, it's real science facts. We have to try harder to stabilise the climate and end carbon emissions ASAP. Don't forget to tune in on Wednesday, which is when Hannah amazes us with more facts. Do not forget to share this podcast with your friends, especially if they are children. And do follow me on my social accounts. Thanks a ton for listening. Bye!